0: Greetings and thank you all for joining us in worship today and participating in the retreat church online. You know, the Christian church has always is existed in a less than desirable like context, right? And this less than desirable context and conditions has been created by, well, let's just be honest, misguided religious people and also those that do not believe in God at all, atheists or what we would call pagans. And these these groups of people that have created this context for the church are common, everyday people. Um, they could be also um, people in positions of leadership throughout history. And these conditions that we find ourselves in are always less than, I guess we could use the, the phrase, the utopia that the church often seeks and that humanity often seeks. And I think that um, that forms a little bit of a disillusionment with, within um, those of us that want to participate in a church and minister through the local church. And we start to get a little like tired and I guess the phrase burnt out. And we start to struggle a lot with with the pain of being involved in the ministry of God and the frustration being involved in the ministry of God. Sometimes that frustration comes because we've expected God to do um, things other than what he's done. And we get let's be honest, disappointed with God. And sometimes that disappointment and that realization that we are functioning as a church body in a culture that is less than desirable, less than perfect, less than the biblical ideal, sometimes we start to question God and we start to question ourselves and we get into this kind of really kind of a downward emotional and spiritual spiral. And then Lo and behold, we come to ask a very important question that I think is appropriate when we start feeling that way. And and that that question is, well, why did God do this in the first place? Now, sometimes you ask that in utter frustration, right? Like, you know, why why am I even doing this? This this stinks. This is this is no fun. This isn't what I thought it would be. Why does God do this? Why does God allow that? And we get like in this very frustrated state and we say, Well, why are we doing this in the first place? And I guess that question could be asked about multiple things in your life, you know, maybe you get frustrated with your children. Why do we ever have kids? You know, kind of horrible admitting that, that we get there, you know, sometimes. Or or maybe in your marriage you get frustrated and there's pain and there's hurt and there's all that goes with that. And you're like, why did I get married in the first place? And even though we ask that question sometimes out of pain and frustration and regret and and um, and hurt, it really is a, a, a wonderful question. And I think a lot of the times when we begin to come out of that negative spiral, we have been come out of those seasons of of struggle, it's because we find really good answers to the question of why. We remember why we fell in love with our spouse. We remembered why we desired to have children and to love them and to raise them. We remember why we ventured off into certain career paths. We remember how um, our life was before we became Christians and before we involved ourselves in the church. And when we start getting the answers to those questions, why, they begin to fuel us and give us passion, and give us energy, and, and begin to revive us, and then we start seeing forward movement within the context of sometimes often very frustrating situations. So, as we've been studying this um, series, our why, we've been looking at some of those questions of why God has started and planted His church in the beginning, and why God has, has moved us throughout history, in many times, most of the time, Um, in less than desirable conditions. And where we arrive today is this third reason that God has created the church to proclaim His excellencies. In other words, that we may look at this less than desirable condition, however it's been created, and then we will take what is excellent about God and speak those truths and those realities into that situation. And I know we live in a time where we want to cancel people constantly. We are constantly canceling and escaping. I think those are two words that describe much of the church and much of um, non-Christians as well, that someone says something that we, that we don't like, we cancel them. We get an environment that we don't like, so we try to escape. Um, here in California, I guess it's the popular thing, you know, I hate California, so I'm leaving. I hate California, so I'm going somewhere else. Well, lo and behold, there's humans other place too. And so we're constantly trying to leave and cancel. And I think that, um, though sometimes that, that is appropriate, don't, don't get me wrong, sometimes that is appropriate, but many times, um, I believe that the problems that we're trying to escape and the people that we're trying to cancel are those that God is saying to us, I know I've called you to do the opposite. I've called you to speak my excellencies into their life and into that culture. And so we're going to talk about that today. And the passage that I want to discuss with you is found in 1 Peter chapter 2 verses 9 and 10. And we're going to start there. And then we'll end at, um, with two more verses subsequent to those. But... Mercy. So right off the bat, in the beginning, we understand that we are to proclaim His excellencies as the people of God, as defined by God. And we saw that as we read verse nine, where He calls them a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, and a people for His own possession. Now, the direct um, audience that Peter was writing to was had found themselves in a, a place that was new to them. Okay, um, and it was new to them because the Jews of Jerusalem had been scattered um, throughout a lot of that part of the world, and they found themselves um, trying to be Jewish in foreign lands among Gentiles, and not only did they have their Jewish identity, but then they'd begun to follow Christ, and so they were learning, well, what does it mean to um, have my Jewish heritage and identity and becoming a follower of Christ, accepting Jesus as the long-awaited Messiah? What does that mean? And There was a lot of bumps in the road and try to figure those things out, but yet they were also following them in the context of a Gentile world without the Jewish heritage, who they also had begun to follow Jesus Christ. And their following of Jesus Christ is what united them together, and they were worshiping together in these. Local context in these local churches and this unity under Christ with diverse backgrounds, religious heritages, and those kind of things of one group living in exile in another group's land. And you come together into this place where they were trying to understand their identity. And God is naming this group, this diverse mixed group, He's naming them in these ways and He's really calling them one. He said, You are the chosen race. You that, that have come from a Gentile background, you that have come from a Jewish background, those of you that are in exile, those of you that are living in your native land, you here together as you follow Christ, you are becoming that chosen race, that royal priesthood, that holy nation, that people ever God's own possession. And you as this group of people with this new identity, unified in Christ, your task is to proclaim the excellencies of God. So they proclaim the excellencies of God as his people. And so when they were coming together, this this challenge it really affected like how do we do that? How do we proclaim that? What and and what do we say to those um pagans that that are that are kind of ostracizing us and those that are coming against us with with their philosophies and worldviews and, and religious perspectives. How do we interact with them and preach Christ to them and bring them into this same unity? And then the Jews, on the other hand, you had what was called the Judaizers, people leaving Jerusalem, going around to foreign lands and finding Jewish followers of Christ and telling them they weren't really Jews and then telling them that any of the Gentiles that were coming in that they had to adapt the Jewish heritage as well. And so you had this big kind of issue going on it's not totally different than what we're facing today is it with people with various backgrounds various religious beliefs coming together and finding unity in Christ and that is one of the beauties of the local church is that at any local church across America I hope I, I hope and that, maybe that's a utopia that we don't really live in that I wish we did but my hope would be that you would land yourself at a local church big or small contemporary or traditional or what, all that stuff, right? (laughs) But you would find people from various backgrounds, with various political and and beliefs, that you would find people with various um, racial backgrounds, but they would find their unity in the gospel of Jesus Christ, and they would focus on... I'm proclaiming those things. I was having a conversation with someone the other day where I said, no matter where you fall politically today, no matter how you view the pandemic, no matter how you view view these things that are taking place in in our country today, I think there's a focus on the Ten Commandments, the Lord's Prayer, the Apostles' Creed. And we proclaim God's excellence at least through those things. The Ten Commandments, the Apostles' Creed, and the Lord's Prayer. Those things, if we just start there and if we can find a home and unity there, then we begin to proclaim the excellencies of God. And so they were to proclaim the excellencies of God as the people of God and as their newfound identity by following Christ. Second of all, we notice in this text that they were to proclaim His excellencies because of His calling. Notice that part of the last part of verse 9 tells us that they were called out of darkness and into His marvelous light. And so, when they look and say, I'm going to proclaim the excellencies of God based upon my newfound identity in Christ, and I'm going to proclaim my the excellencies of God because He has called me out of darkness and into His marvelous light. Now, throughout the Bible, darkness is usually talking about this idea that um, whatever is anti-God, whatever is opposite of, of the Ten Commandments, <laughs> whatever is opposite of the Apostles' Creed, whatever is opposite of the lord's prayer that is darkness and that's where we lived in part of our context and before we became christians before we were following christ we lived in that darkness our lives were in opposition or one of the biblical terms is we had enmity or we were enemies of god because of our sin one of the ways that i like to explain the biblical concept of darkness is The idea of being blinded by sin, that our lives are so sinful, our heart is so corrupted by sin, our mind is so corrupted by sin that we fail to see reality. And you can be blinded by a lot of things. You can be um, blinded by love. (laughs) You could be uh, blinded by um, um, an unhealthy allegiance. You could be blinded by uh, past tragedies, um, past mistakes. You could be blinded by... um, Promises that people have made to you that that really don't have a chance of being fulfilled. And so blindness can come from all of these different areas. And usually it comes and means in the biblical sense that are those things that are in opposition to God. When you look at the marvelous light side of things, where we've been called into, His marvelous light is the revelation of God's love in Jesus Christ. So God's love has come into your life. You've so received God's love in your life and the light that he brings and the truth that he brings and the removal of sin by the blood of Christ. And he begins to cleanse you from that and you begin to see clearly. How many of you, as you've been begun to follow Christ, you look back at your life before being a follower of Christ and you look back you and you say, I can't believe that I thought those things. I can't believe that I believe those things. I can't believe that I ever said and did those things. Well, now you understand. Now you have the truth of God living within you and the Holy Spirit filling you and leading you and guiding you in all truth. And so because God has made that calling in our life, he's called us out of our blindness and darkness. He's called us into a place of understanding where as we view the world through the lens of the scriptures, we begin to see the truth and we begin to understand reality as given to us and revealed to us by God. And so they proclaim the excellencies of God because of their calling. And then thirdly, they proclaim, or we are too as well, proclaim His excellencies because our past is not our present. Our past is not our present. Now I know some of us are saying, I know my present is not my past because the past was better. When can we get back to normal? When can we do the things we once once did? When when can we get back to where we were before um, 2020? Well, let me just enlighten you. For those of you that have been uh, blinded by the pandemic, let me remind you that um, 2019 wasn't that amazing. <laughs> I mean, it wasn't as though um, it was all, you know, peaches and cream and we were all having a sunny day at the beach in 2019. There was plenty of darkness and trouble to go around, wasn't there? And, um, and I know that many of us are, are dealing... With the struggle and, and you know that that like fighting the, the terminology get back to normal. Well, the, there's a new normal. Let, let we're, let's push through to a new normal, and that new normal should be based upon understanding our why and understanding why God has created the church, and everybody has a place and a purpose in it. And this one of proclaiming the excellencies of God, because our past is not our present. Look at verse ten, where he says, "Once you were not a people; you just this is scattered individuals, and then no source of unity, just." Living to your to your own um, ways and your own ideas and your own philosophies and doing your own. You, were, you weren't a people. You weren't gathered together. But now you are God's people. Now you, you belong to God. And once you had not received mercy, in fact, the Bible teaches us that before we were objects of God's mercy, we were objects of His wrath. And that, I don't know about you, but that's, I I, I think I'm safe to say I'd rather have COVID-19 than suffer the wrath of God. Right? I didn't do anything but that because we do not want to be objects of the wrath of God. And so he tells us that, but now we have received mercy. A couple of passages of scripture to help us kind of wrap our minds around that and and deepen that thought a little bit is Romans chapter 9, verses 25 through 26, where Paul writes to the Romans. He says, as indeed, he says in Hosea, those who were not my people, I will call my people. And he and her, excuse me, who was not beloved, I will call beloved. And in the very place where it was said to them, you are not my people, there they will be called sons of the living God. And he's speaking of the Gentile people. He's speaking of the people that were told that they were not part of God's plan. And all along they had been part of God's plan. And he now is pouring out to them this mercy because of the arrival of the Messiah has been accomplished and Jesus is there and Jesus is pouring his life and inviting Gentiles into the family of God and creating one new family, one new group of people in Christ. Also Titus points this out in chapter uh, 3 of his letter where he writes this starting in verse 1, remind them, remember this is Paul talking to Titus, Paul telling Titus how to pastor his, his church, Paul says to Titus, remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities To be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarrelling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy towards all people. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hating, hated by others, and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, He saved us not because of the works done. By us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing and the regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by His grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. And so we know that our past is no longer our present that we weren't a people now we are we are objects of wrath but now we are objects of mercy and God has brought us into his kingdom and he's brought us in and from this position of our past or our present not being what our past was is that we can now proclaim the excellencies of God we don't need to participate in the quarreling and and the, the evil speaking of one another and um and the rebellion and all we don't, we don't need to be part of that whole cacophony of dis- of, of, of of sin is what it is in people's life. We don't need to participate in that at all. And I'm I I'm begging and pleading every week just about for Christians to, to not join in in that rhetoric. And I think there's another passage that tells us that we should not be participating in that, but we should be proclaiming the excellencies of our God. So the concluding challenge for the church becomes this. It is that as the church, we are to speak the excellencies of God into a challenging context. Okay. That's where we're going. Speaking the excellencies of God into a very challenging context. Look at the end of the passage that we've been that we started looking at today. It's First Peter chapter two verses eleven through twelve. So we've looked at the previous verses. Now look at how Peter um, sums up this section. He says, "Beloved, I urge you, as sojourners and exiles, to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against our soul." Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God in the day of your visitation. Something that is very important with this passage is, is again, that label that Peter gives us that are following Christ. He says, I urge you as sojourners and exiles. Sojourners, people that are passing through a foreign land. That it's not in their home. They're they're, they're traveling. They're away from home and traveling through. That that's where we are. That our home is found in the kingdom of God. But we are passing through this world. We are passing through this culture. We're not adopting the culture as our home, but we're passing through it. We're travelers. Our, Our home and our destiny is our eternal home with Christ and what we're passing through this very difficult and challenging circumstance. And also he says as exiles. Now, when you read the Old Testament, you see that an exile was a person that was taken captive by another nation and living in another nation kind of as a captive. And usually that took place in a time when their own home had been rebelling against God. Like the nation of Israel rebelled against God and worshipped foreign idols. God would then raise up a foreign nation like the Assyrians and like Babylonians and come in and destroy the nation of Israel and take captives away. And they would live in that foreign land. And a perfect example of how to live as an exile is found in the book of Daniel. And I believe that we need more and more Daniels today that this young man at 17 years old was taken captive and became the perfect example of what it's like to live in an exile. So many, in many ways, Christians today are seen and called by Peter to say to living as sojourners and as exiles to obtain from the passions of our own flesh. When we want to lash out at people, when we want to be angry and rude and harsh and and. All that comes and all that is so prevalent. Anytime you turn on the television today, you see this anger and this bitterness that is all through social media and, you know, television. But the Christian is supposed to stay out of that. We understand that that, that we're passing through. We're, We're sojourners. We're in exile. And we're here to not obey the passage of our flesh because that wages war against our soul. But we are to keep our conduct honorable. It's a tall task, church. That's a big that's a big challenge because we are human. We do get angry, and we do get tired, and we do get frustrated, and we do say things that we shouldn't say, <laughs> and we need to really fight against that. And he says, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, how is that taken today? When they call Christians' names, and when they excuse Christians as being whatever label that they want to put on us, that when they want to bash Christians and they want to dismiss Christians, that they will see the good that we're doing, the good that we have to share in the communities that we live in today is so vitally important because when they take our religious beliefs and they use that to condemn us, our good deeds will reveal God to that same person. That's the challenge, folks. That's our why. That's the reason why God has created the church to bring us to a place that we are speaking His excellencies into a context that is counter those excellencies and often very, very difficult. But I believe in you. I believe that if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you are empowered by the Holy Spirit and you are up for the task. May we do that in our current day as the people of Peter's day faithfully did as well. God bless you.